and welcome to Nerd Subculture. I'm your host, Jared. And I'm Edwina. And if you listen to this, this is our You're Watching That Again movie review podcast. Eddie, tonight we are doing Moon. The movie Moon. Yeah. <laughs> Released in 2003, uh, stars Sam Rockwell and Kevin Spacey. Written by Doug Jones, Nathan Parker, and also directed by Doug Jones. Over to you, Eddie. Doug Duncan Jones. Duncan Jones. <laughs> Doug Jones. <laughs> I'm looking at you, go. Who the fuck is Doug Jones? <laughs> Can we do that again? No, that's all right. You know what I meant. Doug Jones. Doug Jones. <laughs> Who's Doug Jones? Who's called Doug Jones? I'm thinking, I'm thinking of Doug Naylor of the Red Dwarf writer. Okay. Anyway. All right. Duncan Jones. Yes, Eddie. All right. Warning, this is a full spoiler podcast. If you haven't seen the movie, please come back when you have. And this is our podcast where we're discussing our favorite movies that we have seen perhaps way too many times and why we love them. (laughs) Yes. And this, of course, was the movie out of the hat that we did some time ago. Um, And, yeah, so we picked Moon and it was good to rewatch it. So, uh so we'll just go around first. So what was it like first time you watch it? What was it like rewatching it? Um So this this one's probably one that I haven't watched as much as some of the other movies that yeah, we've I'd done. Yeah, I'd say that. Yep. Um but my first introduction to this movie was on a on a, on a listicle from some sci-fi pop culture website. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it. Um, and I think it was when we were heading into 2010. <laughs> oh, like, the top noughties yeah, sci-fi oh, films. But it, was, it was like the to, um, the top 10 sci-fi movies of the past 10 years. Uh, and this one came in at number two. <laughs> Ooh, what was one? Uh, I think Primer. I was going to say, was it Primer? It was Primer. <laughs> okay, right. Um, yeah, so I... There was a number of movies on this list that I hadn't never heard of. Was Predestination in that list maybe? Yeah, I think so. And maybe Daybreakers might have been in it. Okay, yeah. uh, Um, Who was in that film again? Ethan Hawke. Oh, the Hawkesons, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Made a couple of really – a run of good films in Australia too, I think. But he made them with um, Michael and Peter Sprigg. Sprigg. Mm -hmm. Or the Sprigg. Siblings. Okay, siblings. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, they're, not, they're not brothers anymore. They're. I think they're brothers. Is that? Okay. I can't remember what they went by. I think it was brothers. Okay, right. The, the Sprig brothers, but yeah, they did Predestination and Daybreakers. Yeah. With Ethan Hawke, that little mm. team, both brilliant movies. Yes, recommend those. Yeah. So maybe you know it's 2010, and and I might have got a fr- friend to you know down maybe download these <laughs> for me. Because I don't know how to do that because I'm just a girl. Uh, Anyway, we watched, I think we watched this one together. Yes, we did. Yeah, for the first time. And we're just absolutely blown away by this movie. It was so clever. Mm -hmm. Like, it's such a clever movie. Uh, Even watching it again, like, I was just picking up on different things that I didn't notice the first time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's... You know, it, it is one of those movies where you're you're almost as co- you're as confused as the main character, and you've you've got to sort of work it out while they're trying to work it out as well. I'm not sure, but we went and saw uh, Duncan Jones's other movie, Source Code. Uh, Source Code. Now, was I think that was after this? Yes. 
So I think, do we see th- that movie first or then saw this one? No, I'm pretty sure we saw Moon first. Right, okay. Yeah. And then we actually went to the cinema to see Source Code. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Another great film. Yeah, another really great and, film. And similar in some ways where you're sort of drip-fed bits of information throughout the film to sort of put it all yeah. together and along along with the the main protagonist as well. But also having these metaphors dealing with disability and, yeah, mm. sort of, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, for me, uh, yeah, it was good the first time I saw it and, yeah, still holds up today, um, 13, 14 years later. Yeah. It's aged incredibly well. You'd think it was made in the last few years. The effects in it are pretty, pretty good. I'll, I'll talk about that later as well. Um, so, yeah, absolutely loved it. Yeah. And it was a real good rewatch. Watched it a few times, I think, didn't we? Like just to. Uh... Yep. And um, we also watched Mute, which is its. What is it? It's, it's spiritual, spiritual sequel. Sequel. Yeah, yes. yeah. Well, I think we'll talk about that later too, because <laughs> that was uh that was something too. So, yeah. All right. Well, look. Um, we'll just do the quick summary, and then we'll get back to it, Eddie. How's that sound? That does sound good. Oh, great. In the near future, Lunar Industries profits from the mining of helium three on the moon. The Lunar Industries facility is highly automated, requiring only a single human to maintain operations. Sam Bell is nearing the end of his three-year lunar contract and has been giving living in full isolation with only recorded messages from his wife Tess and an AI named Gertie. Sam's health starts deteriorating and he experiences hallucinations that lead him to crash his rover. He wakes up in the base infirmary with no memory of the incident. Lunar Industries orders Sam to stay put as they are sending a rescue team, but he notices that a rover is missing, sparking suspicion. Sam goes in search of the missing rover and discovers his unconscious doppelganger, concluding that they are clones. The two clones hate each other, but soon realize they need to work together to get their life back. They find a communication substation causing communication interference. Older Sam contacts Earth, speaking with his daughter, Eve, and learning Tess is dead. He also hears his own voice and realizes that he is a clone and the real Sam is back on Earth collecting his paychecks. With the help of Gertie, older Sam access logs of past clones, revealing a sinister cycle that after three years the clones start deteriorating and are incinerated in a pod that is made to look like it's a shuttle home. After finding a secret room full of Sam clones, they both realize the rescue team being sent will kill them if found together. The older Sam accepts his fate and goes back to the scene of the accident. Newer Sam activates a new clone and ejects himself back to Earth in a helium shuttle, but not before he reboots Gertie and reprograms a Harvestar to restore communication. The film ends with the newer Sam heading to Earth with evidence against Lunar Industries. News reports show the controversy and stock crash due to the revelations. The end. Well, there, there is a lot to unpack in this movie, isn't there? So I'll hand it over to you to get the ball rolling, Eddie. So where do you want to start well, with this? I think we start with the cast and characters of this film because it is a tiny, tiny cast. Very tiny. I mean, there are <laughs> there are other actors. I'll, I'll mention them in a minute, in a minute um, but you, you barely see them. Uh, but, of course, pretty much um, Sam Rockwell basically carries a whole film on his shoulders, you could say. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's a clone... He's sort of clone one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then you've got Kevin Spacey who does the voice of Gertie, who's this very two thousand and one 
inspired robot. Seems like it doesn't. It seems sinister at the at the start. That yeah. This uh, this robot's maybe intentions aren't all that great, but it does show it has some sort of humanity towards Not the humanity. end. Humanity. It just it uh. Well, its core program was to keep Sam safe. Yes. So we can't, they kind of use that to say, well, if you let them, if you let that team get here, they're going to kill me. Yeah. So that went against his other core programming of like doing what's best for the company and keeping Sam safe. Mm. So there's a that protocol conflict there with him, yeah. <laughs> with his <Yeah>. programming, I <laughs> guess. Yes. Uh, and then you've got Tess, his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, who you informed me is Maeve. <laughs> Maeve from uh, The Boys, yes. From the Boys. <laughs> Dominique McAlligot, yes. Yeah. and But she's pretty much just recordings and these flashbacks. And, mm. and, uh, and of course, the revelation that she's dead. Was there anything in that? Like, is that another little subplot of why she died or anything like that? I don't that? think so. I think no. by this stage it's been like... It, do we work out how long it is? I'd it's say it's like been 50- about 10 years or something. Oh, no, I thought it was like 15 years or something. Because the girl was like a toddler and then she's like a teenager. Mm. So, like 10 to 15 years or something, yeah. you'd say. Yeah, Yeah, that's how, how many years the cycle has been going. So, if you say about three years for every clone, so you're about five clones in or something is sort of the, yeah. the cal- rough calculation. Yeah. And you don't really know whether the... Clones have been made to deteriorate like uh, that after yeah, five yeah. years. We'll get back to that in a minute because I, I got some got some theories on that. Yeah, <laughs> and the degeneration of the clones. But uh, just on the cast, I'll just mention that. So it actually is a pretty pretty much an all star cast from the supporting cast. Mm. So the two guys you see from the uh, work for the company, one of them's Benedict Wong. Yep. <laughs> from, yeah, from the uh, Hangover. Doctor Strange. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, ah. that yeah. Yeah, Benedict Wong. And the other one is Matt Berry uh, uh, from the We Walk in the Shadows. No, What We, what we Do in the Shadows. Yeah. 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 Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone knows that show. Yeah. And uh, even the the girl who plays Eve, she was in the um, Maze Runner films. Oh, okay. I yeah. haven't really seen those. Movies. No, I haven't seen those either. So, yeah, basically an all-star cast, you could say. Uh, all those actors... I suppose it would have been unknown or not too sure, but uh, yeah. At the time. At the time, relatively unknown, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And yet, like, uh, Sam Rockwell in this is absolutely amazing and it's it was sort of the weird differences between the Clone 1 and Clone 2. You could really see... I'm not the clone, you're the clone. ...that the newer clone had so much... had so, so much, much anger. anger. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're just so different. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And, and, and it's sort of mentioned in, in the diaries or the logs that his wife's saying, you needed time away yeah. from this to get to sort yourself out. So this is part of his rehabilitation of some sort, maybe. Mm. So I wonder, did Sam ever actually go to the moon? Yeah. Probably not. The mm. clones were just set up there. Yeah. Like, so, but real Sam would have. Maybe he did like initially go up there or something, but not f- not as long. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Well, he would need the training. Like, how does he have that True. knowledge? Yeah. But then, why would they send him back? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, and and something now I don't know where this is another another thing I was sort of thinking about the other day because what I I don't know if you noticed this, but when um Sam Rockwell the 
older Sam was sort of brought back and when he was sort of beaten up, do you have a feeling he reminded you of Edward Norton from Fight Club? Yeah, a little bit. Was there a little Fight Club sort of mythos in there as well maybe because then he is fighting himself yeah, a little yeah. bit? Yeah, yeah. Like was there some sort of inspiration from that a little bit? Because his character, like the black eye that he had and his, his face, I mean they have similar looking faces, yeah, Sam Rockwell yeah. and, and Edward Norton. Uh, but definitely when he was bruised up, I just, yeah, uh, thought of that. And was there some sort of fight club sort of uh, parallel in there or something? Um, Could be, yes. yeah. Yeah, and he was going and saying, seeing hallucinations. Yeah, well, that was the other thing. You didn't know well, – because he had been hallucinating. Yeah. Uh, so you weren't sure whether, you know, was it all just in his head? Mm. <laughs> like, you do not talk about fight club. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the cultural impact of this movie? A cultural impact? Uh, yeah. I wouldn't think there'd be much, to be honest. Well, it's pretty well. It's relatively unknown, I'd say. This film, sort of during the time that this was released, so sort of in the mid two thousands, there there were a lot of these sort of small to mid budget uh, sci fi movies with you know uh, writer directors. Mm. Uh, high concept though Yeah, high concept Like think uh, like the movie Chronicle um, is that, that movie Monsters, District 9 mm-hmm. Yeah uh, You know, Daybreakers, Predestination, Looper Yeah Brick And all of, the, all of those movies that I've mentioned <laughs> uh, Were these writer-directors uh, Who then would go on to work on um, these massive, big blockbuster franchises. Yes. And do horrible, horrible things so, to them. Okay, so with Brick and Looper, we're talking about... Ryan Johnson. Ryan, the Ryan Johnson, who yes. Kill, who just, just... Broke Star Wars. Broke Star Wars. But I think I, I think he is actually a really talented writer-director, but he should never have touched Star Wars. He shouldn't have yeah. gone near the project. Yeah, well, maybe a few decisions in that film could have made it better. Um, yeah, I'll leave that at that. I think a lot of people have said a lot about those films already. Yeah, then there's Gareth Edwards who did Rogue One, another Star uh, yeah. Wars movie. Uh, Josh Trank. Ah, uh, Josh Trank. Now, he did the Chronicle movie and then he did Fan Force. Did yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So you have these up and coming sort of movie film directors, and then they're just given these multi million dollar budgets. And it's it's like promoting someone who's worked in a small business to a huge conglomerate. So, yeah, yeah. Company, it's like, and yeah, it's too small, much of a jump. The, small biz- the successful small business owner that's suddenly a CEO of a multinational corporation. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and they are not qualified for the job. <laughs> no, no, you've you've got to work your way into that. I think that's because directing isn't just about t- telling people what to do on set; it's coordinating a whole project. Yes, you're basically a project manager. Yes, is what a director is. So that's yeah, doing that side of things uh, yeah. is what. So Duncan Jones, on the other hand, hmm. uh, didn't actually. Decided not to. I think oh, actually, he no, he did. He did World of Warcraft. Yeah, but I think that would have. That was more of a. He's a World of Warcraft fan. We're talking about the big budget sort of film. Yeah, but, so that but was but the big the, budget but, film. But it wasn't. 
It wasn't a previous IP, if that makes it like it. It, it wasn't it already. Was. It was the beginning. Of, like it wasn't a movie franchise yet. No, no, it wasn't a movie franchise. No, um, but. and but it was probably them trying to launch a World of Warcraft movie franchise. Possibly. Unfortunately, yeah. I think the movie came. About 10 years too it late. It was way too late, yeah. I think so, yeah. It, <laughs> no one even played the, that game anymore, I think, when it came out. It yeah. was a bit like Masters of the Universe came out way long after He-Man had died out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and I think that was the same with that. I never saw um, World of Warcraft, so. Yeah, I watched it. Um, I didn't particularly like it, but the truth was it wasn't made for me. It wasn't... Oh, that's a cop-out. I mean, it's either going to be an interesting movie or not. You don't have to actually know the existing IP to make a good film, I believe. Yeah, but as I said, it was not made for mm. me. It okay. wasn't... It just wasn't my cup of tea. So, Well, fair enough. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it was a bad movie. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I just didn't particularly find it that interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he did do... Like we already spoke about Source Code uh, and Mute, which is probably the most recent. All right. So you've mentioned Mute. So let's talk about the spiritual sequel to this film. Yeah, which is very heavily inspired by um, Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably more the the more recent Blade Runner movie, the 20... 2029, 49, 2049, I think. Yeah. Um, Very cyberpunk yeah. It reminds me of the so- cyberpunk game, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is 2077. A, uh, it, I thought it was a really good movie. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Now, j- just to clarify, when we say a sp- this is a spiritual sequel to the film, so all we really get is a couple of uh, news uh, relays, or re- news plays of like in the background, and I th- it's basically the court proceedings, yeah. the court hearings of... Uh, all, all of the clones um, uh, suing suing the company. And I think we even see the original Sam in there as well. Yeah. Somehow, I'm not sure why he'd be sued mm. um, or be involved in it at all. Well, he'd be suing, the clones would be suing him. Well, yes, but you feel like they'd be more suing the company than him. Yeah, but he sold his DNA to the company yeah. to send them up. Yeah, yeah. I sort of understand why he'd be, be like, why him, like the company, I don't know, maybe he owns, maybe he's a part owner of the company, possibly. Possibly. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's the side plot of that. So he has a large uh, stake in the company. So, yeah. So, but uh, otherwise, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was okay. It wasn't great. I could, I could see the issues with it. We won't go too much into it, but uh, it's, think, it's worth watching. It's on Netflix. It I was, think its biggest issue that it has, has is it's, the way that it deals with uh, pedophilia. Like there's this sort of this pedophilia subplot yeah. that a lot of people are very angry about. Yeah, it, it is quite uncomfortable, but it's just part of the film. Um, you know, it's not glorifying or anything like that. Oh, it, it doesn't glorify so, it at all. But, but uh, I, uh, the, 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 the main character's reaction to it, I think, is what sort of people get off on that anyway we're going to go into spoilers of that film so i think i think we'll uh yeah just leave it on that uh so but but recommend seeing that so that that's the that's the which i only found out recently mm. i mean look you could take that out of that those couple little scenes and you wouldn't even know it's in the same universe so it's yeah, yeah. it's weird to sort of link it up like that but interesting so it, it doesn't really add much to this film though 
other than what's sort of happening. And we don't, we don't find any results whether they win or lose or anything like that. So, All right. Um, let's talk about the visual aesthetics and tone of this movie. Well, visual effects as well? Yeah, we can do that. Now, I want to bring up something because the the outside scenes uh, where they drive, they're driving the rover around are done with miniatures. Yeah. And you can pretty much tell straight away. They look fine. They don't look yeah. shitty. You can't like see someone's big hand pushing a car <laughs> along or anything like that. But I, wanted, I actually wanted to talk about that because say it was CGI. Say they just did use CGI. Mm. But is there anything wrong with that? There, I know there is a stigma that using CGI is cheating and it's lazy and it's not I, necessarily and people I don't are think more that's the case. Are, are more responsive to when practical effects are used and just CGI all the time. But the thing is though, like I could tell they were miniatures. Mm. So if I can tell how the effect has been done, does it really matter? Mm. Well, I think it's using a mixture of CGI and practical effects. Uh, the thing with CGI is that because it's this ever-growing technology, it does severely date movies. Sometimes, yes, that's true, yeah. So... I think we're now at the point where it's pretty undistinguishable. I mean, obviously when you like watching a movie like Quantum Mania and stuff like that, there's there's all weird stuff going on. I don't around. know. I watched that bloody Flash movie and I was like, this looks like <laughs> CGI from 15 years ago. Uh, and it's interesting you bring that up because for some reason, like when you're doing – because in this film you have the two – they have the actor playing the two characters. Mm. Okay, you got old Sam and new Sam and there's scenes where they're on the same, on the same screen together. In the olden days, a trick was that you'd use two prints, you'd make the actor do both sides, and then you'd literally stick them together yeah. and try and hide that, that, that crevice little. in the middle, <laughs> whether you use a door or an archway, to, to hide the fact that you've stuck two uh, films together. Yeah. And But now, this day and age, you can use CGI to smooth all that out stuff. But in this film, it really did seem like you know they'd done that and obviously made it seamlessly. Now, the Back to the Future films... Now, as great as they are, the one thing that people don't sort of talk about with the special effects we use was a lot of the doubles they used of Michael J. Fox playing several characters. And 30 years later, those scenes look so seamless. I mean, yeah. you can tell the extra prosthetic makeup that Michael J. Fox is using, but otherwise, it looks like all those characters are in the same room together at the same time. Yeah. And with this film, they've done it flawlessly as well. However, we watched <laughs> The Flash <laughs> the other day. Now, or recently... And the scenes when they have the two Barrys on the screen at the same time, and you can tell one of them has been CGI. They didn't do the actor playing both roles at different times mm. and then sort of neatly glue them together. It looks like they had actually just CGI'd one of them. And one of them looks so uncanny Valley compared to the live one because they're on screen at the same time. So you can see the difference. That's the problem. You can see yeah. them both. One looks like a cartoon and one doesn't. Yeah. And I don't understand why they did that. Yeah. Yeah. Now maybe you could allude and to what you're saying. And that's what I'm trying yeah. to say is that because CGI is this ever evolving uh, technology, it can date a film. Whereas if you use practical effects and CGI, if you use them both correctly, yeah, to complement each other, to complement each yeah. other instead of just using practical effects or just using only CGI. Uh, if you use them both together, you get a, you definitely get a this, as you said, almost this seamless 
ageless effect. Yeah, and uh, it still baffles me why they did that on The Flash. For a film that just came out this year in 2023, um, and it looks horrible now, it's it's an odd choice, <laughs> suffice to say. Um, um, but, yeah, you know, the... And the aesthetics? Well, the visual, you know, the visual aesthetics and tone of this is very heavily influenced by 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Um, so it's that retro futuristic kind of look. Um, and it all, you know, pretty much the whole film takes place in like one location <laughs> yeah. pretty much. Pretty much, um, yeah. Just a few rooms, I'd say, yeah. Uh, and it's all very uh, minimalism, minimalist. Yeah. So it's all very stark white. Um, things, are, things are starting to look a little bit run down. I don't know, it kind of adds to that isolation. Like you feel the isolation hmm. from these really minimalist set pieces that they've got in this movie. Um, and the base, it's sort of that stark utilitarian, um, cold and sterile environment. Sterile, yeah, yeah, def- yeah, yeah. So you've sort of got this very sterile colour palette of, you know, dominant greys and whites and blues. Um, and even a bit of Aliens as well, like that yeah, sort of aesthetics yeah. of that, the, f- the original Aliens film. Yeah, definitely yeah. Aliens as Alien. well. Alien. Alien, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you really do feel the isolation. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And the lighting that's used uh, sort of does create this eerie mood and atmosphere. Hmm. Um, yeah, so the film often uses dimly lit interiors and stark bright exteriors to create that sort of contrast and tension mm-hmm. um, and play with lights and shadows uh, as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, uh, now, something I wanted to bring up. So I guess we could sort of get into sort of theory time. So mm-hmm. a couple of things I wanted to sort of speculate. So the original Sam that stuck in the the crawler and then the other Sam wakes up. Now, he notices the rover missing, but I think the other thing he noticed was his sunglasses was missing. Ah, okay. Those aviator glasses that he has. Yeah. Because when the the new Sam brings the old Sam in, the first thing he puts on is those aviator glasses and that's when he's first sort of looking at him through that. Mm. Uh, So maybe that was a trigger that something was wrong. Yeah. Like another thing because that's the first thing he, he grabs as well. Um, now, the big thing I want to talk about, my theory on to why they were deteriorating. Now, it could be that the, the clones just had a lifespan of a few years and they just died, which seems pretty straightforward. But I, I feel like there may be another reason, and it may be to do with radiation. Yeah. Now, I, I noticed that um, when they were replaying some of the messages of the other clones that he found. Some were mentioning their hair falling out. Their teeth falling their, out. Their teeth falling out and what was happening to Sam with the bleeding of the orifices and the headaches mm. and stuff he was getting. Seemed to me like he was getting radiation poisoning. And yeah. possibly that is why they use clones. Now, this may be a moral argument about the whole experiment or the whole reasoning as to why they're doing this. So one side of it you could look at is just a... A corporate greed, just getting as much out of someone, don't caring what how many lives are uh, are danger. They're just clones. We're property. We don't care about them. Maybe a humanitarian sort of reason why they're doing this is that they can't send a human into space or to the moon for that long because the the exposure to cosmic rays will kill them eventually. Mm. 
So that could puts an interesting could be a possibility. It could be put an interesting sort of thought process. Maybe they're not just an evil, greedy corporation. Maybe they do care about people, and maybe the moral argument could be put on other people on the on because the fact that they're doing this is because uh, there's a power shortage. And theoretically, what this film is actually quite somewhat accurate in what helium three could be used for as cold fusion. So yeah. you can use nuclear fusion, but the idea of using helium three. It was. It would be. It would, you could use it for cold fusion, which is basically non-radioactive material. There's no radioactive waste. So the moral argument could be made. Well, why we have to use this? You know, for environmental reasons, for humanitarian reasons. You know, people need power. We're talking. We're saving millions of lives by doing this. Yeah. So for the sacrificing of a clone, we can power the whole of humanity. You know, with clean energy. Yeah. So. I don't know. That, that's a theory I had that maybe that that's why they use the clones, or it was just cheap. It's just cheaper. <laughs> well, that, and that just helps as well. It's cheaper. They don't have to pay anyone to do it. Oh no, they'd still they would have paid him, but it's cheaper than flying a human back and forth to the moon. Yeah, yeah, saving yeah. a huge amount of cost and uh, returning him all the time. So yeah, yeah. Um, because as you said, I don't think they could spend three years up there. Um, because of the exposure to radiation, um, but so what? They could spend a year up there, and then yeah, going back and forth like I'm that, rotating. Yeah, yeah, it's going to cost them mm. too much. Or they just put all the clones up there, mm. um, and you know, wake them up when they need them. Yeah. Or is it that after? You know, or is is Gertie like poisoning them? <laughs> That's the other thing. Like, <laughs> I, or I, are they? Or they? Is it just that with the technology of genetic cloning, the clone just deteriorates after that amount of time? That could be a possibility. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's what the movie was hinting at, but I mm-hmm. felt like there may have been another under the surface level sort of explanation for that. That you sort of that I, I feel this is what Duncan Jones with his, does with his films. It really makes you sort of try and scratch the surface just to find out what is what else is going on here. Because a lot of people just use this as propaganda as how evil corporations are and blah blah blah. We hear all that shit all the time. But maybe there is actually compassion here. Hey, they're saving a lot of lives and it's already costing a clone. Yeah. And and could there be other Sams up there? Well there were. There was a whole I mean room. other bases with Sam's oh, in them. Okay, yeah. I mean, why just have one? Why not have several? Yeah, true. Increase true. your profits. Yeah. Ah, yes. Yeah. But didn't they have to? They were on the dark side of the moon, or something. Uh, yeah, that's but that's a big said. area, though. So yeah. you know, um, it's not necessarily. Wouldn't, the, wouldn't the Sam's notice the other, like seeing other shuttles take? Possibly. Off? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they didn't account for the <laughs> fact that what if a Sam had an accident and then. Another Sam was <laughs> was brought back to life. It's a work yeah. in progress. Yeah. So that would bring me to the themes and metaphors within this yeah. movie. I think you could find a lot. Um, and I think one of the biggest ones is also communication uh, and the power of communication. So in this movie, he only communicates – he that he he doesn't have communication with earth yeah and they sort of they they provide him with base needs like he, like all he's really got is like old old tv episodes of i, I dream, dream of genie, genie. <laughs> like like it's like he, his needs are met but they're very everything's very very basic like he's got some plants that he looks after he's got 
mini at this miniature town thing that he's working on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's no like opulent, you know. You know, he's got some exercise equipment, table tennis, and yeah. So he's he's got a few things to keep himself um, occupied. But it's not like he has like a game console or. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or he can talk to his friends and family. Mm. He he has, uh, he literally has only, there's only sort of these one-way communications with Earth where he can, re- he can receive these videos from Tess. Yeah. Uh, so it's this very controlled communication that he has. Uh, and I have heard a theory about that could be, like someone who has a degenerate, like a metaphor for someone who has a degenerative disease where they lose their ability to communicate and they can only take in one way um, information. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, also the power of communication. Um, People communicating to each other is actually... Uh, a weapon almost <laughs> like mm-hmm. not like people talking to each other, telling their stories to each other. Uh, you know, it, it, it is a weapon. Well, like it is, it is powerful. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you bring that up and because, that's, and that's the way that they, this company controlled him by controlling how much he c- could communicate. Well, you know, the second he landed to earth, it seemed like he sparked a whole controversy over what, he was been doing what's been going on up there. So had he had direct contact with Earth, he could have relayed that information directly to news outlets or something, anyone like that. Yeah. So by controlling the narrative, controlling what he's communicating, uh, as you as you said, is a uh, is the power of communication. Yeah. And it. and one of the central themes of this uh, movie is definitely isolation and loneliness and what it does to you to be that isolated. Hmm. Uh, you know, and grappling with himself pretty much as the only, you know, only human on this lunar base. Mm. Uh, and you see he is so different after three years of isolation. Like such a different person to the one, that, like to the new Sam that yeah, comes in. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And a- another nod to um, Sam Rockwell's acting on that because he basically played two different characters even though they were the same person. Yeah. So the three... Amazing how much you can grow in three years, yeah. Or how much you can change, yeah. Uh, and you know, another theme of this is you know identity and self discovery. Uh, it's that you know nature versus nurture. Like, mm-hmm. are, are, you know, all of these clones end up different because of the environment that they're in. All of these clones are going to turn out different, <laughs> pretty mm. much. Um, and you know, and you've sort of got that. Idea of duality for for reflection. Yeah. And, yeah, and like I think pretty much Sam's interactions with his clone, at first he's just like this person's an entirely different person. Like I was, Mm. you know, almost in this denial. (laughs) Um, But, you know, also, you know, it symbolises the idea that we can learn about ourselves through interactions with others. Yeah. Yeah. well, he, I think I think the older Sam sort of says that when he sees new Sam, oh, I, I know what Tess was talking about now. Yeah, yeah. About why I needed to go away. I think there's a conversation like similar to mm. that that he brings up. So you you really get a a third person view of yourself, which is something you don't really ever get to see, other than yes. like seeing a recording of yourself or something. Yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting perspective to put in that. 
Um, another theme in this movie is corporate exploitation. Yes, I know. <laughs> Evil corporations. Uh, the movie critiques corporate greed and exploitation, Lunar Industries. Uh, the company Sam works for is portrayed as prioritizing profits over the well-being of its employee mm-hmm. or employees. Um, this theme highlights the dehumanizing effect of corporate control. Well, is he even an, an employee? Well, yeah, he's not really even an employee. You he's, could say he's, he's almost, just almost a utility. Yeah. Like Gertie. Yeah, but like they obvi- they sent this team to pretty much just to clean, you know, kill him. Pretty mm. much they don't clean up the mess pretty much. Yeah. Um, and then just, you know, put the cycle back in place. Yeah. Um, and, but the new Sam makes it so that they cannot put it back, put the cycle back in place. Yeah. And it's a nice little part when it, when uh, he's in that shuttle about to go off and he just as it closed down, he sticks his hand and he's like, hang on, I can do one more thing. And he yeah. sets that rover to go and destroy the tower so the next Sam can communicate. Yes. Yeah. And as I said, like the, communi- power. the power of communication. Yeah. And, and pretty much the, you could – and I like that ending because it's, it's really left up to your own imagination. As we, well, we don't need to see the trial. We don't need to see what happened. Just having that little snippet at the end about – you know, the people believing it. And it's even like a talk back radio going, oh, I think this guy's full of shit. And yeah, blah, blah. yeah it's all what nonsense. What else are they doing up there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next caller, you know. Um, and, and the new cycle moves on to the next story. You know, it's just a little blip yeah. in time. Which is the next theme that I have okay. here is, yeah. is the ethics of cloning. Hmm. Uh, the use of clones as a central Plot element raises ethical questions about the treatment of human clones. Sam Bell's situation serves as a metaphor for the ethical dilemmas surrounding cloning and the value placed on human life. It also raises questions about the ethical boundaries of scientific experimentation and progress. (laughs) See, look, it can sort of go both ways, can't it? Like... You know, you can say it's all doom and gloom, it's all black mirror, you know, evil, you know, dystopian shit. But it could be used in great ways, like for medicine, like they could clone your body to grow another organ. Mm. Now, whether they actually grow your own body and all that, I mean, yeah. But, uh, you know, that that would be a form of cloning, I, I guess, if they were to, like, grow another heart. Mm. So... You know, it can go both ways. We we tend to always swing towards the dystopian negative, as I said, black mirror sort of shit when we think of that type of stuff. But you know, it's a hard one. Um, like we can't clone, we can't clone humans yet. And I should think we? we can. Well, <laughs> well, they they cloned a sheep. What twenty? What was yeah, it, nearly twenty years ago. Hmm. Dolly. Dolly. Do you know why they call it called a dolly? Why? They, After Dolly Parton, because they used, they the clone sample was used from a mammogram. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Did you just make that up? No, that's that's true. Oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> Your right. face is like, is he full of shit or what? I really can't yeah, that, tell. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But, <laughs> um, why are they doing a mammogram on a sheet? That's that's the sample like where they got the sample from. Okay. Yeah. Or the memories, the yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so 
what was I saying before you distracted me on the ethics of cloning? <laughs> I'm talking about the ethics of cloning. Oh, no. Well, you know, you've come to the right place. This is the right <laughs> podcast if you want to talk about the ethics of cloning. <laughs> but you're saying, oh, we can't, can't do, we can't clone a human yet. I'm sure there is. Well, can't, a, haven't. I don't know if that's the same. Another... I don't know whether that's the same thing. Mm. Yeah. But, but that definitely does open the door to some ethical sort of questions. Yeah. Mm. Or so the next. Uh, or, the, or the little Hitlers in Brazil. <laughs> uh, existentialism is another key theme to this movie. We delve into existential questions about the nature of existence, mortality, and the search for m- meaning in life. Sam Bell's journey mirrors existentialist themes of individual identity and purpose. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does all those things, yes. It does all those things. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to argue with me on that? Uh, no, <laughs> Did no. you add any other existential themes? Um, yeah, Being I mean. your own it's... worst enemy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if once you stop fighting yourself, you can, you get a lot further. Yeah, you can make yourself a better man. Mm. Do you ever think they forgot the ice cream? <laughs> the Rick and Morty reference there. Yes. It's not gay if it's yourself. <laughs> Sexuality? <laughs> well, it's not that type of film. Uh, I do. I did find it like just getting back to the film in general. Like when that scene where they you have because you're watching this for the first time, you have no idea what you're getting, which is good for mum. Uh, as I said, Jones films. so. When we did first watch it, I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing about the mm-hmm. movie, and it's actually the best way to go into this movie is to know absolutely nothing about it. And you, I find the uncomfortableness of the scene when you when you finally get that second Sam in there, and then you're just kind of leaning back in your chair, going, "Where are we going with this? What's happening? <laughs> what? Why?" And and the way the characters are reacting to it too is the same way you're feeling. Like, what, what what's going on here? There's two of us now. Why? Yeah. How did this happen? Okay, clones. All right, <laughs> moving on. Uh, oh, actually, another little sl- subplot that was thrown in there too. I probably didn't notice till like my third or fourth uh, viewing is their, their daughter Tess. Yeah. Now, no, no, Tess is the wife. Sorry, uh, Eve. Yeah. Eve. Does it want to get some metaphor there of biblical <laughs> stuff? Maybe Adam and Eve. I don't know. Um, so uh, he mentions when he talks about Eve because. The new Sam doesn't know Eve. Yeah, it so seems he doesn't. Like. He doesn't have um like they the clones when they come out seem to have a uh, memory loss. Yeah, but so they don't know Eve, and then old Sam says, "Oh, he says that the line, oh, call it the milkman, or something like yeah. that." So he's not the father of Eve. Is sort of the what they're implying there. I thought it was sort of a way of saying, "Oh, she doesn't. She gets all her looks from her mother." Isn't that what that means? No, the milkman means that <laughs> it's like it's like the pool guy. Yeah, I know what it, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Like where it's, uh, it's it means that the child doesn't look anything like you, and that it could be the milkman's. But it normally means that they've got more of their mother's features. I thought it was a direct reference that uh, it's not his child. I think you've misunderstood. That. Misunderstood that? Call it the <laughs> yeah. milkman. I've heard that yeah. term used in films before, and that was usually what it was a reference to. Call yeah, it the milkman because it's uh, no, he's not the father. There's okay. You never, never. No, I always thought it meant um, that it was because the child didn't look like the, 
the yeah because male it looks parent. like the milkman because the milkman was not that they look like the milkman it was <laughs> anyway and there haven't been milkmen for like 20, <laughs> 20 30 years <laughs> the saying still exists though mm. the milkman's still around yeah all right yes but in conclusion mm-hmm. uh in moon these themes and metaphors are woven together to create a thought provoking an emotionally engaging story that encourages viewers to contemplate the human condition, ethics, and the impact of technology on our lives. Um, so, Black yeah. Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, well, was this movie of an influence for the TV show Black Mirror? You know what? This could be an episode of Black Mirror. Absolutely. This, uh, this, is, this is right out there. You could condense it down to like a 30-minute sort of... They kind of movie? already did a version of this as well. Oh, there was a similar... With the clones in space. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, the clones on Earth. Yeah, which yeah. didn't make any sense. It would have made more sense to, to have... To have the, the clones on space than on yeah, Earth. Yeah, have the real ones back on... Have the human version on Earth. Yeah, so... Guess maybe a slight inspiration for that, maybe. Yeah. Well, we didn't actually mention that Duncan Jones is uh, David Bowie's son. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, Jones is Bo- uh, Bowie's original, original name, yes. isn't it? Yes. His name was David Jones. David Jones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, an interesting little fact. Yeah, go on. Uh, that to save on costs... I think this movie only had a budget of five million dollars. Oh, come on, really? Yeah, yeah, five million. Yeah, had a budget of five million, which is absolutely nothing. Yeah, (laughs) I question that, but go on. Uh, so to save on costs, or to save on production costs, Jones reused several set pieces from an abandoned movie base on the BBC TV series. Uh, sci-fi comedy Red Dwarf. Just smaghead. These include the sleeping quarters and the corridor. <laughs> <gasps> no way. Because I was looking oh. at it going, I, they did look very similar to Red Dwarf. Oh, I think it's the newest, like season eight maybe, but mm. that came out like, oh God, they must, oh, I don't know. Oh, they made a couple movies and stuff. Yeah, maybe they're like the later ones. I think there was one made in the mid, late 2000s. Remember that Back to Earth one they yeah, did? Yeah, yeah. So it must have been that one. Um, so not the one from the TV series then. It must be one of those later ones. Hmm. Well, you know how you were saying that you don't th- think it would have been possible to do it for $5 million? Yes. Uh, Doug Jones had a background in special effects. Okay. So that's so he probably did all of them himself. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, actually, maybe inspired by Red Dwarf because they used a lot of miniatures for their outdoor sp- space scenes. Yeah, so yeah, they did. That's something he maybe he wanted to sort of uh, continue on with. So, and I think they look great too. I, you know, no qualm with them. Yeah. So um, now I wanted to get into the uh, the sound or the music. So Clint Marshall was the composer for this. So uh, the main theme for this was actually really a really memorable theme. I find yeah. if I ever hear that, I'll know. I'll think of this movie. That sort of that slow sort of piano um, with a bit of a uh, whimsical, but also menacing. Menacing, <laughs> no, not menacing. Yeah, Sometimes menacing. It's a, yeah, it's eerie. E- eerie and with a bit of um, tension in it as yeah. well. It's sort of built on the tension. Uh, so, but this guy has done plenty of work. So, looking at his uh, 
resume. We've got the, the Titans show. We've got Doom Patrol. So he's done a lot of the DC ones. Lots of uh, video games. Peacemaker, he did. Um, Sabrina, I know you like that one. Yep. Uh, he also did Mute as well. So he, I think he's a long-time worker with um, Duncan Jones. Ghost in the Shell, Black Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it all makes sense now, mm-hmm. doesn't it? It's definitely, definitely Black Mirror. Uh, Black Swan. All right. Yeah, so anything with black in there. Oh, The Wrestler. So Smoke and Aces, The Doom. <laughs> He's done a lot of video games as well. So yeah. uh, Requiem for a Dream. Oh. Mm. Yeah, so uh, it's quite a talented he likes, composer. He likes working. What's his name? Aronofsky. Aaron Aronofsky. Oh, okay. That's yeah. the director that did the Black Swan and the Wrestler. Okay. Yeah. Quite a memorable soundtrack to that. Yeah. A score, I should say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I think that's all my notes done, Eddie. What about you? Uh. Yep. Yep. All right. Shall we get into question time? Yes. the question okay jared which yep. character was your favorite uh i liked old sam yeah 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 old sam clone old sam one. Yeah. clone one oh, clone yep. four maybe <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i went with uh the first clone yeah hmm. yeah okay yep. yeah uh lol moment um i guess uh there's not really too many funny films i wouldn't call this a funny film but uh, probably funny scene for me is when the new Sam's trying to talk to the old Sam and he's just sort of playing the music over the top of him and they're playing this sort of game of turning the music on and off and him yeah. just dancing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that scene, yeah. Yeah, I've got the line that Sam 2 says to Sam 1, uh, you look like a radioactive tampon, like a banana with a yeast infection. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite fight scene? Uh, I guess they had the one fight scene where they were fighting each other. Yeah, they they only really have yeah. the one fight scene, and it's yeah, it's it's more of a slap slap fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, and clone like the first clones, pretty much like, what are you doing? <laughs> like it's going on about you really do have anger issues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Most iconic or favourite scene? Um, I I like the scene where Sam, is it old Sam or new? I can't remember which one is trying to work out the the password. Yeah, and Gertie just comes up and helps him. Yeah. So there's that sort of camaraderie that they're sort of bonded. Well, you didn't really uh, up until that point. You didn't really know where Gertie. Alliance is sort of yeah, like whether Gertie was going to try to kill them or <laughs> yeah, know. and and actually just mentioning Kevin Spacey as well, um, his voice is so soothing in mm. this. Like I couldn't think of a better actor, maybe like Morgan Freeman. Maybe that's just too typical though. Yeah, but I, I found uh, Kevin Spacey's voice was quite nice in this, regardless of what's happened to him recently or anything. Yeah, no one's safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I've got the same thing. I've actually got the same uh, yeah, moment. Yeah. Um, 
It's also, I think it's also the fact that you then see like what, like it's sort of the answers to all the questions once he, once Gertie does put in that passcode for him because you see all the other, you see all the other clone versions of him mm-hmm. and then you see them hop into this capsule thinking that they're going home mm. and you see them getting burnt alive. It's, yeah, it's. Kind of a moment yeah. in the movie. It's sort of a very key point in the movie. Hmm. And it is also that thing where the, these clones spend the whole time yearning for their life back on Earth. Yeah, that counting down the days. And I think you notice when new Sam comes in or, or you see old Sam count, he has like a marker where he's ticked days off on a wall or something. Yeah. And when new Sam comes in, they're all gone. Yeah. Did you notice that? You, yeah, you can yeah. still sort of see the imprint of them of them there. Yeah. So there's obviously some sort of rotation they do of cleaning up what old Sam has done to the new Sam to take over. Yeah. Hmm. Very a bit eerie. Yeah. Uh most iconic or favorite quote? Uh, I guess maybe the, the the final line in the movie. Mm. Uh, about you know when you overhear the people talking about I don't have it written down on me specifically but with mm. the debate over who this person is and if it, and the validity of their arguments and if it's real or not and 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 people just and the, the rotation of new it's like a lot is said in that little epilogue yeah, virtually yeah. of what what happens and it just and of course just the news ro- rotation and they just move on to the next story yeah and that's just and, they, and everything just moves on. So I, I think that's quite memorable, that that, that final bit at the end. Yeah. Um, I'll go with it's just as he's about to um, wipe Gertie's memory and set up a new clone. And Sam says to Gertie, you'd be okay? And Gertie says, of course, the new Sam and I will be back to our programming as soon as I finished rebooting. And Sam Bell replies with, Gertie, we're not programmed. We're people. Do you understand? Hmm. It's kind of the, almost the mission statement of the, of the movie. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and that, lo- that last little touch he does, he removes the kick me part on yeah, the back of him. Yeah, yeah. Like he, res- he respects him as a person. Yeah. So there's that sort of uh, thing going on. Yeah. Uh, who gets the Oscar? Well, you can either give it to Sam Rockwell <laughs> yes. or you could give it to Sam Rockwell. Or you could give it to Sam Rockwell. <laughs> I think you'd give it to Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Or maybe Sam Rockwell? Nah, I reckon Sam Rockwell. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hey, don't open that. It's an alien planet. Is there air? You don't know. What do you rate this movie out of 10 using something from the movie? I gave it nine and a half table tennis balls. <laughs> I'll give it uh, nine out of ten uh, aviator sunglasses. Oh, nice. <laughs> Pairs of aviator sunglasses. Pairs of aviator sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. That's fair enough. All righty then. All righty then. All righty then. Okay, Eddie. Um, so uh, we've reached the end of the podcast. Was there anything else you wanted to throw in? It's your last chance. Or otherwise, I'm hitting that button and we're signing out. Three, two, one. Yep. We're going. We're going. 
All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed listening to us tonight or this evening or this, this afternoon, the morning, whatever you're doing right now. We are Nerd Subculture. My name is Jared. I'm Edwina. And if you like this, what can you do, Eddie? Well, we're on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. You mean X? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, X. X. Uh, we're on... Now you've thrown me. You find us on YouTube and Facebook. Facebook, Insta, I don't know, all yeah, those we're social on, things. On all the bloody socials. And if you would like to help out, and if you'd like to help out the podcast, uh, hit up our merch store, which is uh, on the socials. All right. So, till next time, take care. We'll see you. Bye. Bye.